Good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's awesome to have you with us. And I want to say hello to those of you in our parent viewing area. Great option if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. Also, hello to everybody at our online campus and our microsite. Thanks for joining us there as well. And uh, I just want to uh, piggyback on what Amanda said about Christmas Eve. This is one of those times when uh, that friend or that neighbor or that family member or loved one uh, may say yes to an invitation where some other time of the year they may not. There's something about the holidays that sort of heightens our awareness and uh, people are just a little bit more open to an invitation to a Christmas Eve service. And if there's somebody in your life that maybe you've been thinking about or praying for, uh, I want to encourage you to invite them to one of these services because we are going to present the message of Jesus in a very clear and compelling way. And I know that uh, if there's somebody in your life that you want to invite, this is a perfect opportunity. So uh, today we are wrapping up our series. Uh, Christmas is such a fun time of year, not only because of the invention of the eggnog latte. Thank you, Jesus. But uh, also because it's the time of year where we're most intentional about sort of carving out time to be with family and loved ones. And every year during this time, uh, there's kind of that, uh, there's the gift, the giving of gifts around Christmas. And there's always that one hot item, right? That's like flying off of store shelves. And it's the biggest uh, sort of like popular uh, toy of the year or game of the year that everybody is just dying to have. And it makes it on every kid's Christmas list. And so I thought it would be fun to kind of uh, think back to years past and do a little bit of a, a game show quiz on what have been the most popular gift items from years past. So here we go. We're going to start with the year 2017, not that long ago. Those of you online, you can participate, put the, your answers in the chat. And here's the question. What is the most popular gift of 2017? Anybody know? All right. The answer is Cosmo the Robot. You probably, I'd, I'd never heard of this. Uh, this is a robot that you can actually code. Kids could actually code this and uh, tell it, program it to do different things. All right, so that was a tough one. Uh, we're going to go back a little further, 2007. Anybody remember 2007? iPod Touch, first generation. Ah, yes, creating addicted generation. Right there, 2007. Uh, how about 2001? Anybody remember 2001? Most popular gift. It was Bratz Dolls. Or as I like to call them, little hooker dolls. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're going to go back even further. 1997, 1997, most popular gift was something called Tamagotchi. Does anybody remember Tamagotchi? Anybody? Yeah, some of you guys remember this. This is the world's first virtual pet. This was amazing because you actually had to like feed it and put it to sleep and like take it out. Like there were things you had to do with this or else it would die and you would lose everything and have to start over. Amazing, amazing. And uh, we'll go back a little further, more into my childhood here in 1984. Anybody? Transformers. Robots in disguise, right? Oh, I got a, uh, man, that year for Christmas, I got a um, Transformer Decepticon jet. It was incredible. I loved that toy. I remember that. Uh, we're going to go back a couple more years, 1978. Anybody remember 1978? It was Simon. Anybody remember this? I used to play this at my grandma's house every year. Annoying parents for the last 43 years. This thing, right? <laughs> we had to type in the colors and in the sequence. All right, we're going to go back to 1972. 1972, most popular gift, the Nerf ball. Yes. This is such a big part of my childhood. Humanity has been better ever since Nerf came into the picture. 
All right, 1952. Anybody remember 1952, most popular toy? It is called Mr. Potato Head. Little fun fact for you, the original Mr. Potato Head did not contain the potato body. It was just appendages, and it was expected that you would stick those into a real potato. And parents started calling the company and complaining because they were finding rotten potatoes around their house. They're like, this is not acceptable. So finally, they put together the plastic potato body that came with Mr. Potato Head, and uh, that is how Mr. Potato Head came to be. Now, if you remember Christmas before 1952, we are so glad that you're here. That's amazing. And, uh, you know, you're, you probably had like a button and a piece of twine, and you were happy about it. So great to have you with us as well. Uh, man, quick show of hands. How many of you are going to be with family or extended family during the holidays? How many of you are going to spend a little bit of time with at least one dysfunctional family member? All right, yeah, it's very honest. How many of you cannot raise your hand because that family member is, in fact, sitting next to you? Okay. Okay, wow, some honesty there. All right. How many of you, there's one in every family, and you're like, there's none in our family. You might be the one everyone's thinking about. Mary Carr, uh, an author, defined a dysfunctional family as any family with more than one person in it. I think that's a pretty good definition. Our families can be both great sources of joy and a source of great pain. There's undoubtedly going to be some great food and some laughs and some tender moments and memories, but there's also going to be those subjects that nobody wants to talk about. There's going to be that tension line beneath the surface maybe with that one family member, and that's all kind of comes into full circle in uh, the holidays. And our, our world gives us all sort of advice on how to deal with uh, sometimes the tension that comes from extended family. One option is the Jerry Springer Christmas. That's where you get together with your family, and you basically just decide to keep it real and air your grievances over the dinner table. And so that's uh, probably not a good idea. I just want to, you know, if, if, if chance of Jerry, Jerry, start breaking out at your Christmas dinner, probably went the wrong direction on that one, right? Uh, and yet, it, it seems that even our nativity set is a little bit dysfunctional. And uh, there's the nativity set in the front yard, and it's got, you know, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men. Uh, now, a little bit of a spoiler alert, the wise men were not present at the manger. They actually came about two years later. And uh, some of you are just like, what? My nativity set has wise men, we three kings, gifts for gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Nope, they weren't there. And I've seen nativity sets in people's yards, and it's like Mary and Joseph, and it's like these animals, and it's the shepherds and the wise men, and Mr. and Mrs. Claus are hanging out, you know? <laughs> like, they're all just hanging out together. A little dysfunctional. And this season is filled with food and parties and people and relatives and gifts and, uh, it, part, you know, just traditions and on and on and on. And sometimes what happens for us, because we're so far removed from that first Christmas, sometimes what happens is we can sort of lose the wonder of that first Christmas. In our sort of modern Christmas season, here, here's what I want to encourage us with this morning. We must rediscover the joy of the Christmas story. Because this story is, uh, it's really, really powerful, and it's really messy, and it's really joyful, and there's all kinds of things going on, but sometimes it's easy for us to listen to the message of Jesus, the, especially the Christmas story, and it's like manger and uh, the shepherds and the wise men, and we kind of think to ourselves, well, this is just a different time and a different world, and I think we sometimes forget the reality of what was actually going on during the Christmas story that we've become so familiar with. 
And we kind of dress it up, and it needs to be marketable and pretty. And so over time, it becomes this cute little story of Jesus in the manger with this little soft little hay. Oh, that hay looks so, it's so comfy, you know? And uh, people come, and they bring him presents, and it all looks like Pottery Barn. It's beautiful. This radical story becomes a little bit of a nursery rhyme for us. Uh, it becomes a little bit of white noise, and it's difficult for us to identify with how messy this story really is. And so I want to check it out together, uh, past the Charlie Brown special, and uh, just listen to the story, because as we become further and further removed from the original night and what was originally happening in the world, sometimes we miss just the, the absolute chaos and wonder of what's going on in this story. So we read some of these verses last week. It's recorded in Luke chapter 2. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. So again, imagine this. Angels show up. This is not a normal occurrence. I don't know if you've ever had an angel show up. I have not. And uh, they're terrified. The radiance of the Lord's glory surrounds them, and they are freaking out. And I think it's important to note that every time an angel shows up, their first message is, don't be afraid. They're always like, whoa, 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 don't freak out. Message from God, don't freak out, right? And don't be afraid is becoming the most popular phrase of the Christmas story. After 400 years of silence from God, angels are showing up on a regular basis. And they're like, don't freak out. And we forget that because we've turned angels in our sort of modern uh, era into these cute little chubby cherubs with little arrows and little diapers on, you know, and they float around with little wings. And yet, when you think about angels showing up, an army of angels, the radiance of God's glory. And sometimes we read this and we're like, you know, shepherds, okay, yep, right on, angels, la, 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 all right, that's great. But we miss that they are freaking out. You see an angel of the Lord, you are scared. Okay, you're not just like, oh, yeah, message, go, go for it. Yeah, hit me with it, right? If you see an angel, you need diapers, okay? That's, that's normally how it goes. And this angel goes, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger, for years growing up, I didn't know what a manger was. A manger is a feeding trough. It's what the animals ate out of. And so they basically had a baby and put hay in the feeding trough and laid the baby in that for their crib. That's messy. That's chaotic. That's pretty redneck. Now, I have to be honest here. If I was God and, and I was sending Jesus into the world, the Savior into the world, I probably would not have done it this way. I probably would have chosen a different avenue. I would have been like, all right, Super Bowl Sunday, SoFi Stadium, halftime show, right? Vikings are in it, of course. They're leading 42 to nothing after Kirk Cousins' record-breaking six touchdown passes in the first half. And um, all of a sudden, the Goodyear blimp catches something on camera. It shows up on the Jumbotron. It's Jesus! The crowd goes wild. <sighs> Call it a day, right? That's how I would have announced the Savior into the world. I just think that's, that would have been the way to do it. It doesn't seem like it's a message for the fields. It doesn't seem like it's a message for uh, this couple having a baby in this barn, laying their kid in a feeding trough. This just seems so backwards. This is supposed to be a message for the temple. This should be a message for Jerusalem and for Rome. This is, this is a message for a king. 
And it's just absolutely ludicrous the way this story unfolds. And I think sometimes we forget that because we've heard it, right? How many times have you heard the Christmas story? Like 400? A million? And it just becomes like white noise to us, right? It's like Jesus was born in a... I get it. He came to die for your... Heard it before. And it just becomes white noise. And the story continues. Suddenly this great army of heaven's angels appeared with the angels, singing praises to God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom he is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so we have been given this message of good news. And it is a message that is for all people. It's for everybody, all people. And the angels tell the shepherds that when this message sinks in, this message is going to bring great joy. Here we are. 2,000 years later, and we sing Christmas songs that are filled with the word joy. And we sing joy to the world. And uh, all kinds of Christmas songs, all kinds of Christmas carols that we sing are filled with ideas and messages and even the word joy. Hark the herald, O come all ye faithful. The sentiment of joy is all around us. And yet, sometimes it still seems so elusive. Sometimes it's really difficult for us to experience joy even though it's all around us? And why is it that life seems to drain joy from our lives rather than fill us with joy, especially when we have so much in our lives? And for many of us, when we don't experience joy, what we tend to do is we chase it. We chase the feeling or an emotion of joy in sort of a um, half way. Uh, We settle for an alternative in the form of a pill, in the form of a bottle, in the form of a website, in the form of a meal or a Netflix binge, and we just settle for this pseudo-joy that ultimately leaves us dissatisfied. And while some of those things might help us forget about some of the pressures of this life for a little while, none of those things promise lasting joy, the kind of great joy that was promised to a small group of shepherds in a field in Bethlehem, the kind of joy that is accessible for all people. That's what we want. So how do we get that? What did Jesus actually teach about this concept of joy? Well, first of all, this is really important. True joy is a product, a byproduct of saying yes to God's kingdom. As long as your life is all about you, you will never be happy. As long as your life is all about you, you can't be happy. And here's why. It's not just that you won't be. You can't be because you are not enough to fulfill you. You will always need more than you have to offer. That's just the reality. That's what Jesus taught. During Jesus' time here on earth, he really pulled back the curtain and he gave us a glimpse of what he called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And he gave us a glimpse between the difference between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. And as you read through the life and teachings of Jesus, you notice that he talked about this thing called the kingdom of God a lot. In fact, when the angels said there's good news, it's the good news, not just that Jesus is born, not just that a savior has come into the world, but that he is ushering with him this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven. I love this last song that we sang today that said, Christ the king is born. Heaven has come. Heaven is here. Here comes heaven. 
I love that because this isn't, uh, the message of Jesus isn't just, hey, someday you're going to get to heaven. The message of Jesus is that heaven is getting here. Heaven has come to earth, and we get to participate in it. And so in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew records this for us, that Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. Here's the reality. Every person, you included, me included, every person watching online, every person is working toward a kingdom of some sorts. We're building a kingdom. You can either work to build the kingdom of God or you can work to build the kingdom of me. But we're all building a kingdom. And I would argue the kingdom of me is typically our default setting. That's what we work towards. That's typically what shows up in my life. And the problem with the kingdom of me is all it does is produce more me. And the world does not need more me. My wife will confirm that. Right? Contrast that with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God actually produces what you truly long for. It produces that thing that you desire. Why doesn't it satisfy you when you look to your money, when you look to your career, when you look even to your marriage, to your kids, or anything else to bring joy in your life? Because you're looking to, uh, to something that wasn't designed to bring lasting fulfillment and satisfaction and joy in your life. Your identity, your security is to be found in who God created you to be and nothing else. And your purpose is not a child task. It's not a spouse task. It's not a career task. It's not an accomplishment task or a money task. You were created in the image of God. And so only aligning your life around the kingdom of God will actually fill that void in your life, will actually bring joy into your life. It's the reason you were put on this planet. And there is no end to the sad discontent of making you the mission of your life. If you are the only mission in your life is to satisfy yourself and make you happy, you will never reach it. That's why Jesus taught this prayer to his followers. They asked him, teach us how to pray. And and when he teaches them how to pray, it's this incredible prayer. And it's not meant to be just recited as a formula. But one of the things he teaches them to pray is this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, may your holy name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Jesus, I have a kingdom that I'm building. I'm working on it. And I'm kind of the king in my kingdom. I'm a big deal. And uh, my kingdom is the, you know, I've got this kingdom and we've got some kids in this kingdom and, and we're trying to build this kingdom. But May your kingdom come, and may your will be done here in my kingdom. May may my kingdom start to reflect your kingdom more and more. And whenever my kingdom comes into contrast with yours, help me to align with your kingdom. That's the prayer. This is what Jesus taught followers of his to pray. May your kingdom come. And may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. May, may my world and my life and my choices and my decisions and my resources and my family, and God, may all of that start to align and start to sync up with your kingdom, the good news of your kingdom. He began to describe his way of living, this kingdom of God. And for those who are citizens of that kingdom, there's a new way of doing life. And that's good news. And that's what the prayer of our life becomes. Help me to live my life in such a way that your kingdom, your way of living is reflected on the earth. And when I become aware of something that you want me to do, help me to say yes to your way. And what we discover along the way is that joy is not something 
that is pursued in and of itself. I don't wake up and go, what's going to make me happy today? What's going to fill me with joy today? It's simply a byproduct of saying yes to God's kingdom. That I can't chase joy in and of itself, but when I say yes to the very thing for which I am created, joy is a natural byproduct. Now, that might sound overwhelming, but it's actually very freeing because instead of trying to somehow unlock some right combination and find the right formula, it's simply a matter of saying yes to God's kingdom, yes to God's way of living life. And then here's what Jesus promises. Just a few verses later, he says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. When you align your life around the purpose for which you were created, when you actually say, God, let your kingdom be reflected in my life. Help me to build your kingdom. Jesus says, I'm going to give you everything you need. Joy is a natural byproduct of that. Jesus didn't come to earth just to save us from something. He actually came to save us for something so that we could be a part of something. His message isn't just that you can be forgiven. That's just the first part. It was that you can have a rich and abundant life. But the way to experience that is to enter into and participate in the building of God's kingdom. See, if you stop just at forgiveness and you say, God, thanks for the forgiveness. I'm glad that we have restored relationship, but you don't actually participate in God's kingdom and start to align your life around God's kingdom, then eventually it will just all become about you. It doesn't stop at forgiveness. Forgiveness is just now we're in right relationship, but now I'm going to start aligning my life around you and your way. And when you do that, you discover joy is the byproduct. In fact, sometimes people come into church with that approach. And if you're trying to figure out if this is the church that's going to meet all your needs and make you happy, and let me just spare you the time and the effort. We won't. I promise. This is a, uh, just a messy place. And it's a group of sinners. We're all doing our best. And we're moving forward in our walk with God. And we're linking arms together. But the truth is, we're messy. It's chaotic. When, you, we, when we sometimes get feedback like, I didn't really like the talk, or I wish it was deeper, or the music was too loud, let me just tell you, it's worse than you think. <laughs> My list of things is way longer than yours. But participating with God's kingdom is about dying to the kingdom of me. It isn't about saying, like, is this the church that's going to meet all my needs? It's, it's, it's asking the question, is this a mission I can get behind? Is this the mission for which I was created? And if they're on mission, I want to be a part of it. You want to fill the emptiness? You want to fill the void in your life? You want to experience true joy? You want your life to count for something? That's the antidote. That's it. Joy is the natural byproduct of saying yes to God's kingdom. Not just the forgiveness part, but the participation, align my life around God's kingdom part. And here's why. Number two, we will never fix an internal problem with an external solution. We have to admit, as human beings, we tend to create artificial finish lines. It's just human nature. Someday I'm going to be out of high school and I won't have to parent, follow my parents' rules anymore. Oh, it's going to be so great to have so much freedom, be so independent. And then we get into our college and young adult years and we're not finding the fulfillment that we thought we would, so we move the finish line a little bit further. Oh, someday I'm going to have a career and make lots of money. Then I'll be really independent. Then I'll, then I'll be really happy. And then we land our dream job, and after a couple years, we start to feel restless again. Why is that? Why do we keep moving the finish line? Someday I'm going to meet someone and get married, and that'll fulfill me. And then you found out marriage didn't complete you. It actually brought out some ugly stuff in you. Someday we'll have kids, and we'll have a family. That's what's missing. Someday my kids will move out. <laughs> Someday I'll retire, and I'm going to move somewhere warm in the south, like Rochester. 
And if we're not careful, here's what happens. We just keep moving the finish line. And if we're not careful, it's just to be, man, when, I'm die, when I die, then I'll be happy. But Jesus taught, and the New Testament authors understood that joy <clears throat> is not an external issue. It's an internal issue. And we're never going to solve an internal issue with an external solution. It's about saying yes to God's kingdom. And I think we all recognize joy is an internal experience. And we're not going to fix it by changing circumstances. We're not going to fix it by becoming more beautiful. We're not going to fix it by accumulating more things. We will never fix it that way. Jesus says, I'm offering you a different path. Seek my kingdom first. Say yes to my way of living life. Not so that you can earn love, but because I already love you. And I created you. And this is the best way to live. And I'm telling you, you can achieve happiness and joy that goes beyond what you wear and what you drive and where you live and how popular you are and where you work and what you look like and how much you have. That's why the message of the shepherds, the message of the angels to the shepherds is such good news. It will bring great joy to all people because it isn't based on circumstances. And the only way for that message to actually bring good news, to actually bring uh, joy to all people, is if it isn't based in circumstances. Because if it's based in circumstances, it can't go to all people. It can't be good for all people. If it's dependent on circumstances, only those who find themselves in the right situations can actually experience great joy. But you were made to have a relationship with God. And when you do, joy is what follows. That's why later on, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul, who is uh, actually sitting in a prison cell, would write this letter to followers of Jesus in Philippi. And he says this, For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. <clears throat> I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. The word learned and the word content are so important. In fact, you could, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> you could correctly substitute the word content with the word joy or joyful. In every situation, I have learned the secret to be joyful. I've learned the secret to be content. Paul's basically saying it didn't happen overnight, but I've figured out how to have joy in any circumstance, with a lot or with a little, no, regardless of my situation, because my joy is not dependent on what's going on around me, because it's an internal issue, and I won't solve it with an external solution. He says, I've discovered the secret of lasting joy that goes beyond external beauty or material things or ideal circumstances. It's based in knowing and following Jesus and being a part of his kingdom. And so from a prison cell, he writes this. I've learned the secret. Now, it's one thing to know that, and it's another thing to practice it. There's uh, the idea of orthodoxy, which is uh, right belief, and it doesn't always automatically lead to orthopraxy, which is right practice. So sometimes the, the danger for us as followers of Jesus is that we have a lot of information and not a lot of application. And we want to be a church that doesn't just provide you with information, but with a way to apply what we're learning. Because if, if you can't use it on Monday, we shouldn't say it on Sunday. Uh, the last thing we want to do is for you just to come in and watch something online, come in here, participate, and, and then you leave and go, I don't know what that was even about. We want you to be able to apply what we're talking about. And in fact, this has been the biggest hurdle for the modern church is that we believe a lot of the right things and we just don't actually practice a lot of the right things. One of the biggest hurdles for the modern church is that we're educated far beyond our level of obedience. And oftentimes what we need is not just more information. We need 
habits that help us practice what we believe. And so before we close, I want to give us some simple practices to help us solidify this idea in our hearts. Joy is found in following God in his kingdom. It's not going to be found in external things. It's internal. But here are some things that you can do to help sustain joy on a day-to-day basis. Number one, stop the comparison game. A lot of the restlessness that we feel comes from the fact that we are so good at comparing ourselves to others. And it starts at an early age. And our culture does not do a good job of helping us break that. It encourages it. And I can remember comparing lunchboxes with my buddies in first grade to see who had the best superhero lunchbox. Uh, A comparison at which I always lost because I brought Tupperware to school. Apparently my parents had no appreciation whatsoever for the social stigma this would cause me. Still dealing with that. Oh, thank you. I have a little bit of a frog in my throat. By the time I was in junior high, the comparison game had risen to clothing. And uh, for me, that meant jabot jeans, hypercolor t-shirts, and bangs on everyone, (laughs) including guys. But our culture has taught us to measure how far we've gotten in life by comparing ourselves to others. That's what culture tells us. The problem is that the world around us becomes the measuring stick And then we never have enough because there's always somebody who has more. There's always somebody who's prettier, smarter, popular-er. There's always somebody else. And when that's the measuring stick, then we never have enough. And we never have enough success, never enough stuff, never enough popularity. And we live a life that's lacking in joy and peace because we're always chasing. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Solomon writes this, I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. This is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't work hard and set goals in life and try to achieve them, but it's possible that while the Holy Spirit is reminding us who we belong to and trying to produce joy in our lives, (coughs) we can actually be working against the Holy Spirit and, and worrying about where we stand in relation to other people. I do this all the time. This is difficult for me, and I'll be honest with you, and I've shared this before, and you're like, I'm never coming back to this church. That guy's way too honest, but... uh, Sometimes when I see other churches that are doing really, really well, I'm just like comparing them to like, oh, they just started a church. I wonder how they compared to when we first started. And I, I want to track with that and make sure we are doing a little bit better. I mean, I want them to be really successful, just not just a little less successful than us. You're like, gross. I'm with you. If you don't think there's sin in the world, just look at that. That's gross. But before you judge me, that's in all of us, isn't it? It's in all of us. It's this comparison game. And it robs us of joy, doesn't it? Comparison is the thief of joy. If you want to experience joy, remember, you've got nothing to prove and nobody to impress. I had a a coach and mentor this last year tell me, you've got nothing to prove and nobody to impress. And he said that when he was a young pastor, and he's almost 70 years old now and pastored one church for 42 years, he said, when I was a young pastor... 28 years old, I just felt like a failure. And I just felt like God spoke to me and said, you've got nothing to prove and nobody to impress. And that has been my mantra since I heard it. And I tell you, that will fill you with joy. God, I'm going to do my best with whatever you've given me, and I'm not going to compare myself to other people. I'm going to leave the rest up to you. Be faithful to live for God's kingdom and leave the rest up to him. You want to find joy? That's a big key. Stop the comparison game. Number two, serve others on a consistent basis. Serve others consistently. People who experience deep joy in their everyday lives have discovered this incredible secret. 
that serving others is the path to lasting joy. There's something that happens in you when you give your life away in service to other people. And God wants us to experience the kind of joy and satisfaction in life that is not regulated by our circumstances. And one of the most powerful ways to unleash that is to serve other people. Again, from this prison cell, listen to what Paul writes. I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. He says, my, my life, I'm pouring it out in service to others, like a liquid being poured out. I'm pouring my life out in service to others. And man, he said, the way that you serve, you get to experience the joy of that as well. There's something that happens when we serve. And when your life is centered around pleasing you, here's what happens. You become a tyrant that is never satisfied. And some of us have been stunted in our own spiritual growth because we simply haven't taken that step to say, you know what, I'm going to serve other people. I'm going to get out of what I'm comfortable with, and I'm going to make a priority, make it a priority in my life to serve other people. And so naturally, your view of the world becomes centered around you and your problems, and it steals joy from your life. But something happens when you serve others. Your suffering becomes greatly diminished in light of what God is doing in other people's lives. When you serve, your natural focus moves from looking at you, and the more that you focus on you, the bigger your problems become. But just by a natural process of shifting your focus to others, your problems actually shrink in magnitude because your focus has shifted. So I want to encourage you, as we head into 2022, every single week we're seeing brand new people walk through our doors. We're helping people get connected. We're helping people grow in their walk with Jesus. But it takes everybody being involved. I I love this um, analogy that the Apostle Paul uses in the scriptures of the body of Christ. And what's amazing about that is uh, there's this this thing that happens in your body that your body actually has to overall be healthy for your cells to work, but every individual cell actually has to be healthy for your overall body to work. There's an interdependence between every individual cell and your body as a whole. And the church is like a body. And so we're not complete and healthy and whole without every single person doing their part to serve one another. It's fascinating. And so I want to encourage you as we head into 2022, figure out a way to jump into a serving team here at Westbridge Church. That's a very, very simple step that you can take to fill your life with more joy in 2022. Here's number three. Stay focused on eternity. If you want to experience the kind of lasting joy that goes beyond your circumstances, then here's what you have to understand and acknowledge is that there is more to this life than this life. This life is not all there is to this life. If Jesus came to give us hope for eternity, then we need to stop latching on to things that are temporary to find our sense of joy. I'll let you in on a little secret. We're not all going to be the president when we grow up. We're not all going to get married and make babies and become millionaires and never get sick and retire early and live happily ever after. What if you don't meet that perfect person? What if you don't have those children? What if you don't get those friends or finish that degree or get that job? What if you never buy that house? What if you don't get that health? You don't get that wealth? Then you're going to be filled with sorrow and discouragement because your hope was in those things and it never came. What if you, don't, what if you do get it and you discover it actually doesn't fill you? with the thing you thought it would. 
That might be even worse, to actually attach your, your hope for joy to something external, and you actually achieve it only to realize it doesn't actually deliver on what it promised. What if you choose to stop attaching your heart to things in this life and instead anchor our hearts to God's promises in the life after this life? What if we chose to take the long view? What if we said, this is about eternity. The circumstances of this life, while still affecting our emotions, would have very little bearing on our lasting joy. Again, this is why the Apostle Paul writes this. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Our bodies, external, are dying, decaying. Like, thank you, that's encouraging. But here's what Paul says. But internally, our spirits, internally, are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Again, this is a guy who has been in prison, he's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked. He's like, ah, shake it off. They won't last very long. They produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. One of the reasons that the message of Jesus spread so rapidly during the first century is because of the attitude of his followers, because of the mindset that they had in the midst of incredible persecution and even oftentimes execution. They had this incredible mindset. They were able to exhibit love, even for the people that were persecuting them, even for the people that were putting them to death. That they followed the example of their Savior, Jesus, who even in their execution prayed for forgiveness for those that were putting them to death. And people saw that, and they said, where does that come from? It's because they followed the example of the one called Jesus. And there was a deep sense of joy among followers of Jesus because they maintained such a deep belief in eternity that even in losing their life, they saw it not as the end, they saw it as the beginning. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you can somehow achieve joy by chasing joy or by trying to attach it to some kind of external solution. Joy, true, deep, lasting joy, is a byproduct. It's simply what happens when I say yes to the very thing for which I was created, being a part of God's kingdom. And when you do that, it's just joy flows. You can't choose it, but you can develop habits that allow you to remain in sync with what God is doing in the world. You can choose to stop comparing yourself and just remind yourself, I got nothing to prove and nobody to impress. So God, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to align my life with your kingdom and I'm going to leave the rest in your hands. You can choose to serve other people consistently and you can choose to fix your gaze, fix your eyes, fix your heart on what is eternal. And when you do those things and you practice those things, joy is a natural byproduct in your life. And you can participate in the message of good news that brings great joy to all people. You're included. And maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're watching online, and you've never heard it in those terms. And maybe you've never heard this. You were created by God to exist in loving community with him and with others. The message of Jesus is not just that you can be forgiven. It's that heaven has come to earth, that you can participate in the kingdom of heaven here and now. And Jesus came into the world to show us God's love to reunite us with God, to forgive our sins, but also to invite us into this way of living. In, in the 
greatest example of love, he allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb, and according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. And he showed us there is more to this life than this life. Death is not the end. And you and I have been invited to be a part of God's family. And if you have never said yes to that invitation, I want to invite you to say yes right now as we close with this prayer. Just agree with this prayer. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times I've walked away from you. And I thank you that you are always right there, always a step away when I turn back in your direction. And so today I want to turn in your direction. And I want to say yes to the invitation to be a part of your family. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And help me to follow your way of living, not just to forgive my sins, not just because of my past, but moving forward. I want to align my life around your kingdom. I want to trust you with the way that I live. And I'm trusting that I'll experience joy as a natural byproduct of living my life that way. And God, I pray for every single one of us who have said yes to your forgiveness, who are striving to follow you, May we not just hold on to the forgiveness and then make our lives about us, but may we be people who truly pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here in my life as it is in heaven. May my world, the sphere of influence that I live in, be a reflection of your kingdom. God, may we be people who reflect your kingdom into our world, into our community, into our area and the world around us. We commit this week to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.